Give them a minute to get down. If you have a Bible, we are in the book of Psalms for two more weeks, just two more weeks, and then we are going to jump into a brand new series uh, in the New Testament, looking at a couple different things in a sermon series called Jesus Loves His Church. Jesus Loves His Church. So that's coming in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about what is the church, what counts as the church, what does God expect from his church? What's the mission of the church? Then we're going to look at the seven examples after that of the seven churches in Revelation and talk about uh, what that looks like for us in the 21st century United States of America, which as we've been saying week in and week out, there has never been a better time in our lifetime for the church of Jesus Christ to get on mission for Jesus in our city. Amen. We have what people are looking for. So Psalm 146, though, is where we're at today. Psalm 146. And uh, did you enjoy CR and Jerome the past two weeks? They did a great job. I thought about just staying on vacation. They were doing such a great job. But uh, just got to get back and preach the words. Just got just to gotta do it. It's the calling. But uh, Psalm 146, and uh, I want to start by thinking about just a quick Wikipedia search I did. I know that uh, teller of all truth, Wikipedia. But a quick Wikipedia search of a novel by Mark Twain called The Prince and the Pauper will give you enough details about it to get you into the story. So if you've never read it, let me read to you what I found on Wikipedia about it. And then I want to translate into Psalm 146. But think about this with me. The Prince and the Pauper was first published in 1881 in Canada and then brought and published in 1882 in the U.S. The novel was Mark Twain's first attempt, his first attempt at historical fiction. It's set in the 1500s and it tells the story of two young boys who were born on the same day with an identical appearance to different parents. Tom Canty, a pauper who lives with his abusive alcoholic father in awful court off Pudding Lane in London, England, and Edward VI of England, son of Henry VIII of England. Two totally different stories, the prince and the pauper. Eventually, the two boys get to know each other, and fascinated by each other's life, And their uncanny resemblance and learning they were even born on the same day, they decide to switch places temporarily. So you've got the setting here. These boys switch places and one gets to learn what it looks like to go from riches to poverty and one gets to go from poverty to riches. And they live that way temporarily. And so the story goes on, but the point of all of that as they go through that and struggle with that, and process through that, and all the things that you would find obvious that they would struggle in, is that for our purposes, as you think about the what it would be like for a pauper to look at a prince, I want to translate that to your thinking, because here's the reality. If you and I were super honest with each other, there are times in every one of our lives that God can feel like a distant tyrant who sits off in the sky and has nothing to do with your life or mine. Think about it if you are in the position 
of the pauper, looking at the prince and the life that he lives, and you suddenly got the opportunity to become that, what that would do to your life. But for you and I who sit here in the 21st century, looking back on history, wondering about the future, thinking about God and thinking about his involvement in our life here and now, I want to challenge you to actually look at your life and think about how much of a reality God plays in your daily life. Because I know that if you're here or you're watching online, you would probably at least have some sort of religious answer to those questions that I asked you. But I've been alive long enough to know that every single one of us has times and moments and places and struggles and difficulties and moments where he feels pretty distant. He feels like that distant tyrant that doesn't actually know what I'm going through right now. And so we turn to Psalm 46 for some of those answers because the guy who wrote it was King David. And if you are new to Christianity or you maybe have heard of King David but never really understood his story, you you would quickly in getting to know King David recognize that King David went through all the things. (laughs) He was a young boy, a shepherd, anointed to be king and then had to wait. He came to power or almost to power and the king at the time, Saul, wanted to kill him. And so then, then he is anointed king and brought into the kingdom and made king. And then he is hunted constantly. And he's hiding in caves in the Middle East. And that's his story. And then he comes and finally is anointed king and takes over the kingdom. And he falls into serious sin. I'm shortening his story a lot. But you maybe know the story of David and Bathsheba where David is supposed to be off at war leading the kingdom into the places that God's called him. And instead he stays home and he goes out on the roof of his palace and watches a young woman when he shouldn't be. And then he takes that young woman and he sleeps with her and she is pregnant. And so he has her husband brought home and killed and all of the things, and, and yet when you get to the New Testament, what is the testimony of David? Come on, do you know it? He's a man after God's own heart. And you sit here in our seat and you think, how is that possible? How is it possible that that guy is a man after God's own heart? At a minimum, it gives you and I hope. Because if God was just a distant tyrant who was not actively involved in your life and mine, that couldn't possibly be the testimony of David that he leaves on this earth for you and I right here, right now. I think of Peter, right? Standing before Jesus and Jesus asked the famous question, who do people say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer, right? He says, you are the son of the living God. You're Messiah, And Jesus looks at him and says, you know, heaven's revealed that to you. I mean, how good did Peter feel? But it's the same chapter, just a couple verses later, 
where Jesus calls Peter Satan. <laughs> You're like, how did we get from there to there? How do we go from heaven revealed to you to get behind me Satan? Because baked within the story of scripture from front to back is the point that this life is not about what you can manufacture for God. It's about what God has done in the world and through Jesus and is now doing in and through you. You see, because what we talk about all the time here is that the center of your Christian faith is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God can, did for you and can now do through us. And so as you think about that, as we come to Psalm 146, I want you to think from that perspective about how David is responding here at the end of the book of Psalms, right towards the end, to his relationship with God. He's going to make two distinct choices in his relationship with God that you and I can make. Because God has already acted on our behalf. How are we choosing to respond to that? Makes so much difference in our experience. You see, because one of the best ways to think about that is that your vertical relationship with God, if you, if you have been called by God, adopted into his family, your faith is in him, that is settled, fixed forever, never going to change Scripture says, no man can pluck you out of your father's hand. It's done. It was his. That's why Jesus on the cross with his arms spread and nailed to that tree for you and for me, for us, for his church, would say, it is what? Finished. Finished. There's nothing more to be added. But how many of you know that we're thankful for that, but there's still this life that we live on the horizontal, Right? So even though my vertical standing with the Lord is fixed and finished, my choices here and now on the horizontal with people, with my neighbor, matter. They matter in how I experience the world around me. And so I want to look at it from that perspective. So let's read just 10 verses here in Psalm 146, and then I want to give you those two choices and then I want to give you the 10 reasons God blesses us in response to it. Fair enough? Let's look at Psalm 146. Here's what the scripture says. It says, praise the Lord. Not just praise the Lord, but look at this next statement. Praise the Lord what? Oh, my soul. There's a different level there when you have a relationship with the Lord. It says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. Here's an important statement. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed. Is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. 
The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will forever, will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Two choices, some results of those choices, and then ten reasons why those matter. We're going to go quick. All right? Number one, the first choice, we choose to praise the Lord. Nobody is going to get up tomorrow morning with you and make you praise the Lord. I'm going to be making that decision for myself tomorrow morning when my kids get up at 6 a.m. And you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to choose whether you will praise the Lord. Choose to praise the Lord. Look at the two things that it says. It says that, A, that needs to come from the what? The soul, the heart, the seat of your being. Right? Because he says, it comes while we have being. What an important statement because you can only fake it till you make it for so long. Right? And we have all kinds of names for that. We, we, we call it burnout. We call it, you know, needing a vacation or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, what you and I figure out over the time of life is that if it's not real, if it's not at a soul level, if God has not made the move into your heart, it won't last. You know, I, I think about the amount of folks who statisticians say have walked away from the faith. We they're they're termed the nuns in, in this generation. And you think how how can somebody grow up in the faith and have all the answers and walk away? Because this wasn't true. They hadn't been changed on a soul level. It wasn't real. I, I think about the times in my life that were real for me. I'll never forget in middle school sitting on the top of a mountain in the state of Utah. Shout out to Jerome. He used to ski on those mountains. Not there yet. Just got to walk them. But sitting there, looking out over the expanse of what was in front of me and knowing that God was real. Why? Because other psalms say the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? We, we talk about being at the foot of the ocean and looking out and just recognizing that he's real. And, and I'm sure you have your place, whether it's in the mountains or whether it's on the beach or whether it's out in a boat in the stillness or whatever the case is, there are times when God speaks to our heart because scripture tells us that written on the heart of every person is eternity. And so when we come back to reality and you get up tomorrow morning, you have a choice to make. 
I love thinking about it this way, that the, what you do with the first part of your day will affect the rest of your day. And it's just true. It's just true. It's, it's why the Kuhn family in our finances chooses to tithe, right? Because what, what I do with the first part of my money affects the rest of our money. And you say, well, the Bible, does that does use 10%? Like, it doesn't matter, right? Right? Because, because it's not about being stingy and figuring out what the Hebrew said about 10%. It's about generosity, isn't it? And it, it changes how Camden and I think about money. We can go to other things. What, what, what about, what about uh, your business? How, how do you deal with people? What about your relationships with your neighbor? And we can go on and on and on. But when it boils back into your life and your relationship with God, what are you doing with the first part of your day? Choose. To praise the Lord. Make that choice. There's a simultaneous choice here in Psalm 146. Not only do we choose to praise the Lord, we choose not to trust in princes, right? Those two things are held side by side because you and I get really tempted to look at either our, our own abilities or the abilities of those in power for our salvation. And you know what I'm talking about. Because we just walked through it last year. What was anything in our lifetime more divisive than the last election? And I'm not here to say right or wrong about any of that, but simply to say that we can't put our trust in princes. Because you know what? Eight years ago, when we elected one of them, didn't fix everything. Last year when we elected one of them, it hasn't fixed everything. And you know what? In a couple of years when we elect somebody else, it's not going to fix anything. Why? Because mere mortals. Let me say it to you this way. Other humans can't save me. Let's, let's come off of that big one and think about the trust we're putting in how we raise our kids. Or how we do our job. Or how we do any number of things, and depending on how you're wired, is going to be where your idolatry lies, right? We, we all have different struggles, but here's the reality, is that other human beings can't save us. Th- those, are, those are simultaneous declarations that come from David about his experience in this life. I was reading something this week, because we all kind of know that, right? We all kind of know that. But so why is it that week in and week out, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference? Did you ever just process that? Like why by Tuesday does that truth not change a whole lot about our experience? And this guy that I was reading said like because a lot of it depends how we come to it. We can come to those two choices and pride would say, I've heard that before. And we move on. But we had come to those two choices and humility would say, I need to hear that again. You understand the difference between those two perspectives? That day in and day out, when you choose to praise the Lord, you're going to come with one of those two attitudes and you're going to say, in pride, I've heard that. And you're going to move on. Or in humility, 
and say, I need that again, and allow the Lord to speak to you. But even though that would be enough, the scripture is always gracious to us. The Lord is always gracious to us because look at what comes next here in the text. It says, when, when you make those two choices, what happens in verse 5? This has been the theme through every one of our psalms from the very beginning all the way to the end. This word keeps coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up and it's the word blessed. Look at verse 5 again. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord his God. And listen, we could spend all day unpacking like where we put our hope and what we trust in and I'm gonna, just going to trust you to know that about yourself. That every one of us has a vice. Every one of us has an idol. Every one of us has a thing that when things go south, we turn to. It can be it can be drugs, it can be control, it can be manufacturing things, like it can be anything. But I'm going to trust you to know what it is for you. But look at what happened. Blessing, right? Happiness, joy in this life comes to those whose two things, help and hope, comes from God. Help and hope. So think about that. This week, where will you find your help and where will you put your hope? Now, let's tie that. Not before we look at the 10 things that are awesome about that. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, why is it so important for you to actually be a part of a church community? Where does God choose to bring his help and his hope. What, what is the only thing in scripture that God is actively building? Come on. His church. Right? He, he looked at Peter in that moment when Peter got the right answer. And he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. We're going to go here in a couple weeks, but what is the church? people, right? So where will you find your help as you put your hope in God? Where did he tell you to find it? With each other. So listen, on Tuesday, when things are tough, what will you do with that? Here, let me, hope takes you up. Help takes you out. Don't bear your burdens alone. Don't do it. When, when you need help and your hope is in the Lord, you do it his way. You do it his way. Why is that so hard for us? Pride. Pride. I don't need help. I don't want to ask for help. Maybe you just struggle. You've got seven reasons why nobody wants to help you. I don't know. But what I do know is that every single one of us have those experiences in life. And according to the stats, most people do it alone. 
But Jesus comes and is building this thing called the church with a different kind of people who daily are gathering with each other, according to the New Testament, bearing each other's burdens, and in that way fulfilling the law of Christ. If you are part of Redeemer City Church, that has to become reality. Just just this week, people were sending me things that that can't be born alone. Like that that can't be held up by themselves. Whether it's loss or difficulty in family or whatever the case may be, you need people in your life. But it all comes out of your relationship with God. What do you do with the first 10% of your day? Choose to praise. Let me give you 10 reasons why. And then we're going to take communion together. 10 reasons why. The first two come from verse 6, because God is all-powerful and God is faithful. When you don't have the power, he has the power. When you don't feel like being faithful, he was faithful for you. The next three come from verse 7. God is just, he's your provider, and he's your liberator. When you feel stuck, he'll free you. When you need things, he'll provide for you. When he, when you feel like you've been wronged, God will make it right. All of these things are in his control and not your control. The next three come from verse 8. God is my healer, my encourager, and he loves me. What if you got up tomorrow morning and just reminded yourself of those things? God's my healer. He's going to encourage me today, and he loves me. How would that change your day? And the last two in verse 9, God's my protector and my sustainer. He'll protect you, but he'll also sustain you. See, because like I, th- I think a lot of us, we know these things. But day in and day out and day in and day out, like who's sustaining that in your life? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But I want to encourage you as we turn into this moment of communion. And the band's going to come up. We're going to, we're going to sing a really important song in that. But as you're thinking about that, I, I, and we grab those communion elements, which are on a seat with you, I want you to think about a couple things in, in that light. Here's what 1 John 1, 7 says. It says, if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You see, it's always connected to fellowship with each other. What does it look like to walk with Jesus? It looks like being with each other. Walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, one of, one of the great things about the communion table, about the Lord's Supper table, about these elements, is that it, it is, the scripture says, do them in remembrance of him. Why? Because we have to be reminded that it was Jesus who purified you from all your sin, the ones you did yesterday, the ones you're doing now, and the ones you're going to do tomorrow. That all of it is covered and purified in 
Jesus. Why? Look at John chapter 6. Or listen to it. I don't have these on the screen for you. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, I am. Some of you need to hear this today. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You recognize when Jesus said that because he's all-knowing and all-powerful, he had you in mind? When he said, I'm the bread of life, so that Mitch can find life when he can't find it anywhere else. If, if Mitch will eat this bread, he'll live forever. So as you take these elements and you hold them in your hand, and I would encourage you to do that, and you take that, and you take that out, and you literally take this little excuse for bread, it's more like styrofoam, and you hold it in your hand, that you recognize that according to 1 Corinthians 10, that you are, you are participating in the body of Christ. That when Jesus was, was standing on the same earth that you and I stand on, and he was looking at his disciples in the eye, and he said, and he handed them a piece of bread at that table in the upper room, that he had you in mind. That, that if you would eat this bread, if you would receive his flesh, that everything would change. Not because you can manufacture something tomorrow that's going to make your life better, but because Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and made things right with God so that you could live forever. But it's not just about living forever, is it? It's not just about getting somewhere, some other destination called heaven. Right? What did Jesus tell us to pray for? He said, God, that you would bring your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. What is his kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven? Come on, get this right. Church, you and I, together, you need people in your life. You were not designed to do this by yourself. So whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the room, like in a couple weeks when we start talking about city groups, like it's not just the thing that the church does. We don't ask you to go through growth track and figure out who you are and why God made you the way he made you so that you can just have that knowledge. No, no, no. It's because you are made for community. Like God's made you the way you are so that you can come be an active part of this body. And because if my finger's gone, I've got a problem. If you're not here, we have a problem. If I blow my knee out, I've got a problem. You are needed in the body of Christ. 
this bread is my flesh and I give it for the life of the world. If you want to find life, it's found here. It begins at the communion table. If you're not a Christian today, this, this, is, this is all we've got. I just want you to know, if you're watching online, this is the whole thing. Because if Jesus isn't who he said he is, we're all wasting our time. But man, I'm happy to report Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And he laid down his life so that you and I could have life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, and we all partake of one bread. 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that, on the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, which is what we've been doing all morning, it says that he broke it. And I'd encourage you to do that in your hands right now, to break that and think about the fact that it was the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. For the forgiveness of your sins, so that you could find life, that you might experience peace. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. If you're not a Christian, can I just invite you to confess Jesus as Lord? See, we don't think the biggest issue that the world has with Jesus is a science one, a history one. I think it's a lordship one. Let me tell you, he's a good king. He's a great Lord. And I'll encourage you in this moment to put your faith and trust in him. That you would surrender to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so it says he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says in the same way he also took the cup. said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant, that way for you to be made right with God. You don't don't bring your goat to church or your dove or your pigeon or your lamb because Jesus was that spotless lamb for you. And he said this, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take the cup. And as we transition toward this psalm, I often tell you that, you know, what's our response to that? Right? Like, how do you respond to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? doing that on your behalf comes back to what David said in Psalm 146 we praise the Lord one of the gospels says that when they had finished with that they went out onto a mountain and sung a hymn 
So we're going to sing a song here called Reckless Love. But I want you to have the background of that as we sing it. Because in Luke chapter 15, the Bible says that Jesus told the people that were in front of him this parable. And he said this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, listen to this, rejoicing. God's not mad at you today. If you've run away from him, he's not mad at you. He's coming after you. He wants to find you. He wants to put you back on his shoulders. He wants to bring you back to the fold, to the people of God, where you can find help and hope. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Come on, if that doesn't get you fired up today at church, nothing will. Why don't you stand with me? Let's sing this out. Sing it like you mean it. Sing it from your soul. And find joy, find help and hope.